The world and its problems are too complex to explain in 140 characters. There are no simple answers, which means that uncovering truth, goodness, and beauty requires work. Lots of work. Welcome to the Grapple With Podcast, a show about digging deeper to understand history and culture. I'm your host, Harrison Waters. Last week, we heard how Henry Wadsworth Longfellow came to Washington City to find his son, wounded in a botched Civil War battle near Payne's Farm, Virginia. I hope you enjoy part two of the story behind Longfellow's Carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Chapter two, Wounds. Dr. Everett's attempts to prepare Longfellow for his reunion with Charlie did nothing to calm him. Instead, Longfellow was stoked into action, pushing past the doctor to march towards the train, jaw clamped tightly, eyebrows cocked in determination, and ears deaf to the calls of the doctor and Ernest trailing behind. Crippled, Longfellow thought. Charlie, crippled, paralyzed for life, never walk again, Charlie. Longfellow's gut had simmered with dread ever since he'd received the fateful telegram three days earlier. Now the dread was in full boil, bubbling towards overflow with each new mental image of Charlie's broken body. Skirting around the engine crew, busy at work servicing the train, which was still puffing sighs of steam and smoke, Longfellow began the tricky business of weaving between stretchers, medics, and soldiers, all pushing in the opposite direction. Longfellow was soon surrounded by a field of injured boys, and he did his best to avoid jostling the bandaged limbs. Men and boys who ought to, by all rights, be snug at home after work in the field or store or banking house, now stood shivering with the chill of early December on their way home from the front lines of battle, grimly pleased to be away from the cold mud and hot lead their fellows were putting up with. Father? Longfellow's mind didn't pick up on the sound of this voice until he had already walked on a few paces. Then he stopped looking around at the many strange whiskered faces, ruddy cheeks, and eyes shadowed by military caps. He called out into the crowd, Charlie? A moment's wait made Longfellow's heart sink, but before he had quite made up his mind to turn and press on, a new voice called through the noisy bustle. Henry Longfellow! Yes, you, sir! Longfellow turned to his left and saw a medic waving him over. Squeezing between two stacks of luggage, Longfellow came to where a stretcher lay slung between a set of crates. On the stretcher, a young man lay on his side with a bedroll at his back, propping him up. The face was pale, but it certainly belonged to Charlie. Between Longfellow and his son stood a medic, a thick-set man holding a wad of bandages and a pair of shears. Ah, Mr. Longfellow. Yes? Yours is a happy name in the ranks, sir. Whenever a newspaper comes, the lads and I are always happy to find one of your poems in it. Paul Revere's ride gave the men an especially good spiriting up for this last campaign. The medic paused, smiling at Longfellow. The poet nodded, trying to smile agreeably at the unexpected gift of this compliment, but still coming up short with a little more than a painful grin. I'm glad to hear that, sir. How is my son? Longfellow's voice started out in a normal pitch, but dropped almost to a whisper. His legs still feel numb, the man answered, but I have no doubt that with time he'll recover. The brew of dread boiling in Longfellow's stomach suddenly felt as if a bowl of cold confusion had been poured in. What? He whispered. But sir, I just spoke with Dr. Everett, who said there wasn't much hope of my son living, much less recovering. The medic shook his head. He last saw your son two days ago, but since then Charlie's improved remarkably well. His first operation went marvelously, and I have high hopes for his second tomorrow. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. 
Clearing his throat again, Longfellow asks, Can I talk to him? Of course. Of course, the medic said. He was well enough to pick you out in the crowd and call out. I think he can handle a bit of conversation. Stepping aside, the medic made way for Longfellow and Ernest, who had just arrived, to draw near to Charlie's stretcher. Hello, Charlie. Father. Ernie. The voice was a bit strained and dry, but it was Charlie's nonetheless. How are you feeling, Charlie? Ernest asked. Like I was shot in the back. Neither Ernest nor his father smiled at the joke. How did it happen, son? Charlie didn't answer right away, but stared out at the soldier streaming past. Longfellow was about to ask his question again when Charlie spoke. We were attacking the rebels at a place called Payne's Farm. My division had orders to charge the enemy, but the ground was too rough and the skirmishing was too much to ride through. The southern cannons were thundering like hell and ours were firing back over our heads. We were riding to seal up a place in the front line when a pack of rebs broke through the woods and attacked. It felt like someone jammed a white-hot poker in my back when I got shot. The pain was so terrible that I can't remember anything from the battlefield after that. All I remember was waking up in a field tent with a mouthful of brandy and a filthy doctor holding out a bottle with more. It sounds horrible, Charlie, Ernest said. It was. The cannons were ripping men to pieces. Charlie shivered. The conversation paused for a moment, letting the sounds of the station rush back into their perception. An engine whistled. Bells clanged. Dozens of people murmured all at once. Finally, Charlie spoke again. Perhaps you were right, Father. Right about what? Trying to keep me from signing up. Longfellow was worried again. Charlie rarely, if ever, backed down on his convictions. Ever since the war began, he had been convinced that he needed to sign up to fight as soon as he was old enough. Sure enough, when he was 17, Charlie boarded a train to Washington City without telling his father. Only when the recruitment officer, who happened to be a friend of Charlie's father, wrote the family asking for his permission to sign up Charlie did they find out where their son and brother had gone. Charlie wrote his own letter to say, I have tried hard to resist the temptation of going without your leave, but I cannot any longer. I feel it to be my first duty to do what I can for my country, and I would willingly lay down my life for it if it would be of any good. Henry Longfellow had given his permission, seeing that Charlie couldn't be deterred, and watched with a mix of anxiety and pride as his son became a second lieutenant, liked and respected by all his fellow soldiers. Longfellow had come to Washington City back in the summer to care for his son when he came down ill with typhoid and malaria. Even then, Charlie was anxious to get back to the front to continue this war for the integrity of the Union and the freedom of the black man. But now, the fire was gone. Longfellow thought for a moment, trying to pull together something to say to his son. Charlie, whether I was right or not doesn't matter right now. I suppose you've come to see how horrid war can be and how much it hurts. I've got one question for you. In your time on the front lines, have you been able to protect the life of anyone? Have you seen your sacrifice make a difference in the life of even one person? Charlie lay silently for a minute or so. Henry fought the urge to break the silence, resisting the awkwardness of it in order to let his son find an answer. Finally, Charlie spoke. Maybe, father. I would like to believe that with every reb I shot, I saved the life of someone who might have gotten the reb's bullet. But I still feel like I ended more lives than I saved. I want to believe that I'm helping make a difference, to set people free. But out there, in the mud, with a gun and bayonet in my hand, and rebs trying to kill me with their guns and bayonets, 
It just feels so different. So much blood. Charlie's voice sounded more strained and weak the more he spoke, until his whisper was almost too quiet for his father to hear. Excuse me, Mr. Longfellow. The medic had come up from behind Henry and was gesturing for him to step away from the stretcher. I think it's time for Lieutenant Longfellow to get some rest. Close your eyes and try to sleep, Charlie. We'll move you soon, so rest until then. Charlie managed something close to a nod and shut his eyes. Henry and Ernest walked with the medic to a crate a few paces from the stretcher. He'll be all right, but he still has a long way to go, I'm afraid, the medic smiled grimly. Longfellow coughed and spoke. Doctor, I didn't get your name. Delling, the medic answered. Dr. Delling, will he ever be well enough to fight again? Only God knows that, I'm afraid, the medic answered. He has it in him to recover and live a vigorous life, but I doubt he'll ever be able to step on a battlefield again. Why any of these boys could be expected to go back is a wonder to me, but your son most definitely will not. Thank you for listening to Longfellow's Christmas Bells, a story by me, Harrison Waters. Check your podcast feed next week for chapter three of the story behind the Christmas carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show or send me a message at storymakingstudio17 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Grapple With Podcast.